Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, which contains every scary thing that has ever existed, including Leatherface's apron, Jason's hockey mask, Freddy's glove claw, from Nightmare on Elm Street, the second movie, and that parking ticket you forgot about. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. Mikey, let's start out, as we always do, with the uh, scariest things that happened to us this week. So what happened in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? Roxy, I had to look mortality in the face and realize that after two years of not wearing a suit, I no longer fit into any of my suits. Oh, no! (laughs) Uh, I had a wedding. It was the first wedding I've been to since the pandemic. I tried to put... Which, yay, congrats to your friend. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Except for no, your I suit. A, I had to go that morning and go buy a suit. And I was just like, oh, oh so scary. <sighs> it was, okay. I had to try. Intimidated? And, I tried to like put on, pull on the suit. And I was mm-hmm. just like, what happened to my body? It felt like I took a sliced open air hose and put it into my belly button and went, <laughs> Uh, it's the pandemic. And I did dream that I did that. Oh. And so I don't know if that dream was real or was it? Is that scarier or less? Is that more or less scary than the pandemic being two years of just forcing us to be more sedentary and you don't exercise? So that's why you can't fit into your suit. That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the true horror, the nightmare being real or that other real life nightmare being real uh, instead of confronting that i'm gonna ask you what happened to you this week that was so scary <laughs> so if you've been hanging out with me on streams or know anything about me i guess i've started drinking powdered caffeine drinks basically adult kool-aid with caffeine in them i'm not going to name the brand because they don't sponsor me when they sponsor me i'll name the brand give us money if yeah exactly that's my advertising pitch by the way give us money yeah, he gets real close to your ears. <laughs> it's very threatening. <laughs> so I have that. It's a good way to save money. It's just as effective. I don't like crap, whatever. But so I had some caffeinated tea as a backup for like whenever I ran out of that. A fancy metal tin and then in like a protective plastic bag. And then there was a bunch of like tea bags of very nice smelling fancy caffeinated tea. I was just going through my pantry, opened up that tin all of my reserve tea, Mikey, had grown mold <gasps> and had expired over a year ago. <laughs> Scary. And so it has just sat there growing mold, festering in my pantry until I discovered it this week. And Did you drink it? I considered it and then didn't. Okay. <laughs> and instead I slammed it into the garbage can and I guess I kept the tin. <laughs> you slammed it? <laughs> I was so upset. I was like, this expensive caffeinated tea, which I was looking forward to drinking because it tastes like fruit. Now I can't. Yeah, it sounds like you were like really excited about it. You let it sit for a year. <laughs> yeah. It, it, hey, it was my backup. Okay. I guess that's fair. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but it's no longer an effective backup. So yeah, that's some real bullshit that happened to you, Roxy. I'm sorry. Much scarier than what happened to you, which is facing your own mortality. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta say. <laughs> Speaking of my own mortality, here comes the man who is most likely to take it away, the Demon Bot. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were tasked with watching the 2021 film Malignant, directed by James Wan and starring Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hassan, and George Young. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? 
So, Roxy, I did watch Malignant. Did you also watch Malignant? Yes, I did watch Malignant, and I can't help but notice that Demon Bot is wearing a black trench coat, and I'm wondering if that is related to us watching Malignant. I am trying to stay warm. If you are familiar with the idiom, when hell freezes over, I just want to know who is responsible for Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers finally getting an official English release. Okay, well then maybe not, unless he's lying. He could, I don't know if I trust anything he says. (laughs) Anyway, I did watch Malignant. (laughs) Then you may keep your souls, for now. He just like uh, flipped his his trench coat around. (laughs) It was like a cave. (laughs) What a dramatic exit this week. Yeah, it was cool. Roxy, we both watched Malignant. In case there's anybody listening up at the cellar door, what do you say we do a quick plot recap? Yeah, let's do it. I would love to do a plot recap. The movie Malignant opens in 1993 when horrifying and mysterious patient Gabriel attacks those in the hospital trying to study him, killing many. Then, 27 years later, a pregnant woman named Madison returns home to her shitty abusive husband after a long shift at work. While having an argument, Madison's head is slammed up against a wall by the husband, who then leaves to, quote, go get some ice. Yeah, he's going to get a beer. Madison locks herself in the room and avoid him, noticing blood on the back of her head, and then she passes out. During the night, the abusive husband is killed. When Madison is awakened by a bad dream, she goes downstairs to check and sees that not only is her husband dead, but a shadowy like negative void space man is sitting next to the corpse and crawling after her and then he attacks she runs but is eventually thrown across the room and hits her head yet again and passes out the next morning madison then awakens to find her sister by her bedside in the hospital and that sadly she has lost her baby in the attack that happened the night before sometime later madison goes home and her sister tries to help her move on The abusive husband, you see, kept them apart, but the two of them are quite close. Madison reveals to her sister at this point that she was adopted. Across town on a Seattle underground tour, a tour guide is attacked and kidnapped by that same shadowy killer and held in some unknown location. This killer then goes on to kill again, this time a doctor from that opening scene. To Madison's horror, she has a vision of this killer and sees them kill this doctor. And the police find a photo of Madison as a child in the murdered woman's office. Then, horrifyingly enough, when Madison has a second vision of a male doctor being killed, she and her sister go to the police and tell them what she witnessed. She just can't let it go anymore. They, of course, don't believe her about seeing visions, but think there could be something to this, so they go to the place that Madison indicates that the murder happened. While taking a break in the bathroom, Madison gets a call and speaks with the killer, who she recognizes as Gabriel, an imaginary childhood friend she thought she forgot about. Maybe he isn't so imaginary after all. Because the detectives find a body at the place Madison indicated she saw in her vision, they follow up on Madison's apparent connection to the killer. The detectives then call in a hypnotherapist to try and figure out what the heck is going on. With the help of this hypnotherapist, Madison remembers awful truths. Gabriel tried to make her kill her sister before she was even born, making her think she was cutting a cake somehow. However, when she woke up, holding a knife over her pregnant mother, she screamed. She stops herself and is horrified. It's during this session that the kidnapped woman breaks free and falls through the ceiling in Madison's home. (laughs) Turns out this woman was being held there the entire time. With this tour guide now being found held captive in her home, Madison is arrested. 
her sister, who I, I do want to say, her name is Sydney. She's like my favorite character in maybe any movie. She's great. She's uh, very good. Her sister, Sydney, must then find out the truth of what happened and drives to the original hospital where Madison was held as a child before she was adopted. While there, Sydney finds tapes and documents that she brings back to her mother, and the two of them put the clues together. Turns out that Madison had a parasitic twin called Gabriel that was literally attached to her skull back and spinal column (laughs) the two of them share the same brain but are two individuals uh together they shared a unique connection and basically had psychic powers but gabriel feared madison wanting to live a normal life away from him and so he would manipulate her to hurt others and try to get her to kill anyone he deemed to be in his way it's also found out that the twins birth mother is still alive and gave them away when she was just 15 in fact, the woman who was stashed in the attic this whole time is, in fact, their birth mother. <sighs> Twists, the reveals, the way they're coming here. While in lockup, Madison is harassed by other inmates, which proves to be their death sentence as Gabriel emerges from the back of Madison's head, crushes her joints around backwards, and starts a whole big old bloodbath. Gabriel kills everyone in the cell, gets his signature trench coat and killing knife, and then goes to kill every cop in the whole heckin' station. The sister gets to the hospital where the birth mother is and is attacked by Gabriel. The sister pleads with Madison to take control and stop him. She's the only one who can. She also informs her that the miscarriages were all a result of Gabriel siphoning them off to build himself up, killing them every time. This revelation and Gabriel threatening to kill her sister is what pushed Madison over the edge. Madison is now in control of the body. She makes Gabriel see what he wants to see, making him think his plan has succeeded until he realizes that Gabriel himself is the one who is trapped in the mind prison this time. Madison is then able to save her sister, utilizing her super strength for herself for the first time and lifting the heavy object off of Sydney. The two hug, realizing that blood is not as important as their bond. They are true sisters. However, as the camera pans away, we hear a light buzz the same way we always do right before Gabriel attacks, letting us know that while Madison is in control, Gabriel ain't done. And Roxy, that's malignant. Yep, that's malignant. (laughs) A truly insane movie. (laughs) The things that happen in this movie are all awesome. Everything (laughs) is awesome. There's one unawesome thing, which is at the very beginning, when that dude is abusive to our friend Madison. But then yeah, that's not great. He gets killed very fast. And I was like writing it down. I was like, I, I sure hope this guy dies fast. And he does. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think so. This movie is extremely campy in like the best way possible. I want to say camp does not equal bad. And mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of stuff is super fun. I love having like a killer who has a personality and a distinct look like this. That part's great. But then it will try and be like very serious at times, too, where it seems to be like it's all camp except for like this part. We're, we're being very serious. But then we're back to the camp and fucking mm-hmm. Gabriel looks like a PlayStation 4 character in a video game doing a flip and shooting a bunch <laughs> of cops. <laughs> so I think those are the only parts that kind of like didn't hit for me. It doesn't make the movie bad, but it does make me think like whenever they do the sequel, I hope they just lean more into the camp aspect of it. I think it'll be much more enjoyable and probably have less split opinion on people because there are some people who really hate this movie. Um, and then some people who really like it. There's a lot less ambivalent people I've seen, I guess, when I experiencing could, this movie. I could see that. I hadn't really thought about it until just hearing you talk about it just now. And I, I think that the like the tone is 
conveyed a lot by the actor. I hear this said a lot about when they're casting a new Batman. Like, you have to be both a good Batman and a good Bruce Wayne. And it's yes, much, much harder to be a sense. good Batman because you're like, you have to, it's kind of silly. You have to use a silly voice. You know, it's like, it's tougher to be that. But like, you get somebody like Michael Keaton, whose performance I think is so in line with the mo- Batman movies that he's in, that it's like, okay, this really works. Christian Bale, it's like, when he is Batman, I think it works. And when he's Bruce Wayne, it's kind of like, mm, a little off, just a little off. Not as heroic as this movie wants me to think, right? I think hmm. to me, the tonal differences, because you're right, there are moments that are meant to be serious, and then there are moments that are the most insane garbage I've ever seen. I think the main actress of this movie, Madison, uh-huh. is giving the most insane performance I've ever seen, and I don't know why she's performing this way. <laughs> she's In like, which way? She's, like, kind of, like, cold and looking away and just, like, jittery. And, like, even when she's ostensibly being normal she's just like performing in this i don't know it almost feels more like play acting (laughs) like she's acting in a play Mm. as opposed to a movie and everybody else who is a person is acting like they're in a movie Mm. and i just i'm like constantly that was my my number one note that i kept writing down i was like why is she like that why is she being like that what was your take on her performance uh i don't think that registered as much for me but she did feel like she was playing it very seriously, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that kind of felt like that was probably what was called for for her character. But I think because of her performance when it's like she's a pregnant woman with an abusive husband and that whole sequence is played very realistically mm-hmm. in an unnerving way where it feels like, especially with the, the smash cut, like you have this bombastic, super fun, over the top, ridiculous opening mm-hmm. where it literally ends with like a zoom into the doctor saying, it's time to cut out the cancer. <laughs> so like you've got like very quotable movie feeling lines like that. And then you do a smash cut to like this very realistic going home after you've been working really hard, you're pregnant, you're having a hard time just, you know, kind of like moving around, but you literally did a full shift. Mm your deadbeat husband is just sitting on the bed on his phone and watching a football game and like not helping you. And like, all you want to do is go to sleep. And their entire conversation as well is very threatening and like upsetting Mm -hmm. in the way he's threatening her and talking down to her, essentially accusing her of being the cause of all of the miscarriages, which we know eventually that Gabriel's the cause, but in any real world scenario, that can totally happen. Like, Mm -hmm. miscarriages are a lot more normal than you might think, but they're still really- And nobody talks about them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's another one of those things. A lot of women's health things just don't get talked about, which is a real shame because it's just a normal thing that happens to like 50% of the population Mm -hmm. or a normal thing that can happen. I think you're right. I I didn't- Those two scenes next to each other are different movies. Yes. I was all geared up for like, hell yeah, this is going to be a campy, over-the-top, insane ride, and then it clips to that. Mm -hmm. Which I can see doing a scene like that, then in contrast to showing insane stuff, makes the insane stuff hit harder instead of just having the same tones. Like, I can understand that instinct or that idea, but I think just... Because it felt like a very realistic situation where this woman is being trapped by her shitty husband, it just hit me wrong where it's like, this is more serious than I think it needs to be. Mm -hmm. This is making me feel, this is not fun. This is making me feel like uncomfortable in more of a realistic way. Yeah. uh, Which I don't think is what this movie wants me Mm -hmm. to feel. And I I think you're right. And I think that's why like that this movie, 
the, here are the two things that I remember, because this is the second time I've seen it, that I remember being mm-hmm. really relieved when they happened. And I think number one is kind of what you're talking about here. I was really relieved when the husband died because I didn't... Yeah, just delete him from the movie. Yeah, just... <laughs> I, I think I like that as, like, a building block to this story, and I think you're kind of right in that it does, like, having that grounded of a scene without, like, I don't know, it's, like, it's upsetting in the wrong way. It's kind of... Yes, the, yeah, The first yeah. scene is upsetting in a silly way. Like, if this had been silly in an upsetting way, like, it probably wouldn't have worked. I guess you gotta do it, but I'm glad we didn't revel in that space for a long time. So I remember feeling a huge weight off my shoulders... Once that guy was eliminated from the story. The yeah. other thing that I was stressed out about throughout this entire movie, the first time I saw it and the second time I saw it, I was so relieved I didn't have to worry about anymore. It felt so much, Roxy, like we were going to get one of those bullshit endings where he hit her in the head and then she imagined the whole thing. Yes. Oh, my God. That's I hate that twist so much. It's one of my most hated twists hate in it. like any form of story, any story or like that uh, something. Oh, like, my God. That, that she was like having the, some it sort was of a like, dream. It was a dream the whole time. Yes. I just fucking hate that. It's bad, lazy writing. And I <laughs> or or that she was because I mean, so much <laughs> of it is like what she's seeing. Is it real? Yeah. He's, and the fact that he's there manipulating is, it. There is head trauma. <laughs> like that is a physical, yeah. like a tangible worry of mine. And again, like once I got through it and saw like, oh, the head trauma is from when your horrifying in utero baby brother is jutting his monster face out. It's like, great. Love it. Like it's all like I I think that this movie has like really, really good storytelling. It's just like it's doing a lot of showing and not telling. And it's setting up a ton of mysteries and like little bizarre moments that like you do have all the information but it's absolutely impossible to like get there yourself i just think it's like really smart about what details it gives you about what gabriel's up to what she's up to what she's seeing what's going on in her life uh and then like telling you what you need to know as you need to know it i was like really enamored with the way that this story's plot progressed so i mostly agree with you in that except for This is something I didn't even catch, but I actually watched Amanda the Jedi's video talking about this, which I think she had some similar thoughts to me about the tone. Mm -hmm. But she was like, oh, I figured out the mystery way earlier because it's literally in the opening credits when they're showing the medical papers and stuff, which I didn't focus on that at all. Yeah. So I didn't see that at all. So the first time I watched it, I didn't get that. But somebody who was paying attention would and would Mm -hmm. be able to like put the pieces together to be like, "Uh oh, so I'd say maybe don't do that. In your movie, maybe don't have the clues up there, but I do appreciate the everything else. Like you're saying, like that was the experience I had because I didn't focus on that. So mm-hmm. I didn't figure it out ahead of time. So I was able to experience it the way that they paced the movie for the reveals and everything. I don't, I don't know Amanda the Jedi super well. I suspect that this is based on nothing. I don't know. I've talked to like four people who have ever seen this movie. Uh, <laughs> I suspect that is not a common occurrence with this just because like, yes, I feel yeah. like I just let those images wash over me. And go- again, going back the second time, like I saw exactly what you saw. It's kind of like what we were talking about with the sixth sense. It's like the second time you mm-hmm. see it, it's so clear, but I don't know that they're necessarily giving you the information to like, cause they have assaulted you with a lot of information at that point. You've got radio yeah. talking, you've got lights, you've got broken bones, you've got strength, you've got like the socks. Like they showed the girl's socks very close up. That was like going to be an yeah. important plot detail. You've got the, the lady, like there's so many details that all of those plus the idea of twins being in utero together and like splitting. 
I don't think that is as clearly the, um, that's the one that was going to be the answer to the mystery, as opposed to, you know, uh, there, there's a, a spirit elsewhere that is using radio waves to get in, like, as another example of if one of those other five details have been plucked out of the hat to be the one that is the answer to the mystery. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I don't think they put those things in the title card with the intent for it to be like, here's a clue and here's some information. So when you mm. get to here, you'll know some stuff. Like, I don't think they put that there with the purpose of doing that. That's a, I just that's think a good that's point. What, like, what, what are you getting out of those? Yes, exactly. It, it benefits. Yeah, it benefits them nothing at all to do that. And yeah. It was just such a little thing that I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't recognize that. But that's any other call. person who did, it might have been kind of like, man, <laughs> yeah, they weren't. They obviously weren't intending to do that. It was just supposed to be like. Here's a cool, gritty title sequence yeah. with some stuff from, like, medical things, because you just saw a crazy, weird little creature in a hospital. <laughs> to get back to this idea of, like, Madison's performance yeah. striking me super weird, Uh huh. I think the reason I so responded to Sydney in this movie, the younger sister, is, mm-hmm. like, she is playing it like a person who exists in this universe. Like, her job is to be, like, a Disney princess cosplayer at kids' parties. Which yeah. is, like, a kind of silly heightening of a job that you would have, like, again, in this silly heightened universe. Like, Well, you, she mentions before, too, that she's an actress, so she was mm-hmm. trying out for parts and stuff, so it's kind of like this performer job is, you know, not where she wants to be. She wants to be in movies or TV or something. Yeah. And so that's just kind of like a job tangentially related to the thing mm-hmm. she wants to do and is a way to pay the bills. And it's also just kind of like, yeah, she's literally the sweet Disney princess who was going to support her, her big sister. And even like thinking about that actress job, like there's a a joke that they set up and then pay off so much later. That is so satisfying where when they first go to the police, she's like, can't you hire a psychic? I know the police hire Uh, uh psychics sometimes. I've played one on TV and they were like, no, of course we don't hire psychics. And then later when they get the hypnotherapist, she's like, I knew it. They're like, it's not a psychic. It's a it's a perfect joke, but it's again, it's the kind of joke that like if it were coming from our main character and not to say that like I wanted Sydney to be the main character, but like the kind of character who can make silly little jokes like that fits in this mm-hmm. world so much better than a character who is just hunched up and shriveled and just yeah. uh, projecting her voice to the back of the room. Yeah, I think also because so much of like what Madison's doing, she's being trapped in the mind prism while mm-hmm. Gabriel is doing things. And I think also maybe to contrast that, how insane Gabriel is as like a concept and a character. Mm-hmm. If they were both really over the top, maybe. No, I, th- I think you could make it work. But I think that maybe the reason why her performance is the way it is, is because of that. Because Gabriel is so much bigger by comparison. Mm-hmm. And then also just having Sydney there, like she is the emotional heart, their relationship as sisters is the emotional heart of the movie. So it makes sense why you would want to endear the audience to Sydney as well mm-hmm. by making her. But like, I guess in terms of talking about like how it fits into the movie. Yeah, she feels m- much more kind of exaggerated or tropey in like a fun campy way mm-hmm. to fit in with the universe of the movie. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, that's probably another reason why like, like I said, Madison's performance did hit me weird where it felt like too real or too mm-hmm. much like somebody under duress when it's like, nah, you should be like having more fun. I'm sure she had fun doing it, but it feels like every other actor, you look at their performance, you see what they did. It's like, yeah, I bet they had fun doing mm-hmm. that. I look at Madison, I don't know what she did. Right. <laughs> you she, know? Yeah, you're right. She's taking it so much more seriously <laughs> than everybody. Yeah, which is not like, 
necessarily bad, but it just it does like register, mm-hmm. I guess. I, I, I hate to do this to every movie, but I am a writer and my brain does work this way. Here's the way we solve okay. this movie. Okay. And I think it saves a lot of time, <laughs> which I think you need to do in movies. But also, I think it makes it work much better. Her initial trauma, that like the horrifying thing that is happening to her at the beginning of the movie, if it is not an abusive husband, if it is the reveal that she's adopted, I think this movie is a lot better. Yeah, I could see that. I think, so another part to like the abusive husband, I think we, we're talking about a lot of things and there will be more I guess, big ideas for us to dig into. Mm -hmm. But I think an aspect of her character, too, is like she kind of accepts what she thinks she deserves, which Gabriel has worn her down since they were kids, Mm -hmm. in a way, where he is essentially like, her relationship with Gabriel is an abusive relationship, and they're literally in the same body. (laughs) So I think her accepting that shitty husband and then staying with that is kind of like a reflection of the fact that she doesn't think she deserves better, maybe. Yeah. No, I, 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 I do see I do see the angle yeah. through which they're doing which, it. But like this movie, I think more so than anything else. And I think it is kind of one of these movies that has a lot of ideas kind of it's a little scatterbrained. Yeah. But I think the closest thematic story I could gronk onto this is about adoption and about feeling like so separate from your family that you don't feel like because it, it's this bizarre little thing where like her her change ultimately is going from i would really like a blood relative to i've always had the blood relative in you whether we're blood or not yeah yeah it's like found family can be just as important or even more so than yeah. those that you were blood related to and like yeah that's that's the biggest so theme i'd say her initial trauma at the beginning is not so much coming from that and not so much coming from feeling othered and I yeah. think I think the idea, like again, this uh, the the horror that really resonates with me is the kind of horror that is like this is talking about a real problem that real people have, and it's played out in this arch kind of silly way. This idea uh-huh. that like from whatever your situation was before you were adopted has led you to do behaviors that are bad that you don't necessarily feel in control of, but you feel like you're different and wrong and bad from you, the rest of your family. They touch on yeah. all of that. They do all of that. And it's embodied by Gabriel. But that's a real thing that people have. Honestly, I would say even whether mm. they're adopted or not, like you feel like you're a bad person yeah. and you don't fit in and the other people around you are better. And how can you learn to be confident in that? And it's through, you know, the love of your chosen family and it's through self-confidence. And they do that story. And then there's just all this kind of cruft <laughs> falling about about like, <laughs> abusive relationships and yeah doctors pushing the limits too far like there's like a bunch of silliness which again i like all of it but i don't know i i do feel like it's kind of a bummer that the major problem that this movie ends up solving happens the beginning of it happens off screen like she already knows she's mm-hmm. adopted and it doesn't feel like oh, a big yeah. deal and she just kind of like says it offhandedly to Sydney and it doesn't really change anything. Yeah, between so them. actually that's another thing too, where you were saying like, I, I kind of wish Sydney was a main character in a way or something, or like she is our main viewpoint character, which she kind of becomes that later, especially when Madison is like in Gabriel mode. So she's literally gone. Mm-hmm. I think that's because we, as the viewers find that out the same time Sydney does. So like, we had no idea Madison was adopted. Madison knew, but she didn't tell the audience. Mm. She tells the audience when she tells Sydney. So we're like there for her emotionally when she's, learning it too yeah so yeah that is kind of like a strange choice it maybe if she if they had like found out or like she found i don't know a paper or something so 
we were more there for her emotional journey mm-hmm. to discover that. I can I can definitely see the merits in, in doing that. Well, okay, we solved that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> there is, again, so much fun stuff going on that this incredibly insane arch-villain is doing. They are killing the doctors who ran the experimentation center from where he was yep. cut out. He takes Which one of their- Which looks like a castle. It, the place <laughs> yeah. looks like a gigantic <laughs> castle. And like when Sydney goes there to explore later, there's literally a shot that's over her shoulder looking down the hallway that's in the pitch darkness. And I was like, this looks like it could be a frame from a Silent Hill game. Yeah. Oh, it's like a third person over the shoulder camera. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's like game. incredibly gnarly and spooky. And then so you've got this crazy mansion outside. She sneaks in and then she's in this very spooky situation where just like, yeah, that wouldn't just be shut down. Also, what else did they do there? Surely it can't be shut down purely because of Gabriel. If they ever do a sequel, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a bunch of supervillain, potential supervillains who or just like people with powers that they were That's monitoring there. Smart. Well, because they're going to do like a sequel, right? Or experimenting and bringing it out. Yeah, like, that. that's also another good thing, too. Because the doctors investigating are like, man, they've got, this duo has such potential. We haven't seen something like this mm-hmm. before. And, like, James Wan, he's setting it up for a sequel. We also don't know a lot of story with the mother backstory, mm-hmm. like, uh, things like that. Basically, he left threads that if they're, or when they do the sequel, although I'm assuming it hasn't been canceled. I know there was, like, mixed reaction to this movie, so that might have affected it. Yeah, actually, I want to see a sequel. Me too. But I... I think he planned it to be at least multiple movies, at least two. I don't know if he's going to do more, but like you could literally set up a supervillain universe from this. Because this is a horror movie, kind of, but mm-hmm. it's more of a superhero movie than anything else. Yeah. Or like supervillain movie, I guess. I think that's what I kind of like about this. Like it does almost intentionally. And I think there's one shot that really told me it's like, oh, this movie doesn't give a shit about playing fair with me. <laughs> and I appreciate that <laughs> from it. Okay. Where which, it's like, which part? This movie like makes you think it's a horror movie. And then it's like, surprise, mm. it's a superhero movie. But yep. the shot or, or the scene rather, where they have the hypnotherapist meeting at Madison's house. And it's the mm-hmm. scene where the, the birth mother falls through the ceiling and into the living room. Yeah. The way they actually do this. And I only noticed it the second time. They have that scene where Madison is in her living room with the police and with Sydney. And Sydney is like trying to hit on the, <laughs> the policeman oh, who's yeah. there. We haven't even like touched on that. We should talk about that at some point too. Very it's, cute. It's actually kind of cute. Yeah. But so they do that scene and the scene wraps up. Madison's just like, hey, uh, that's it. I, we got the information and uh, I don't want to do this anymore. And then they mm-hmm. do this shot, Roxy, that you don't even recognize that like I never would have noticed if I wasn't looking for it. But they do this like sweeping shot over all of Seattle, which makes you think uh-huh. it's filmic language that makes you think you are going to a different location. You're going across town to see the killer's hideout where it has the mom captured. And it like it makes your brain think. Wait, before she falls through yes. the, or after or before, before the ceiling? They do the Madison okay. scene. They sweep across the city and then they go to the scene where the birth mother is chained up and then she falls okay. out. And it. 100% tricks your brain and it's like that's what you do in a movie if you are crossing space you do this slow mm. helicopter shot over to the villain and then she falls through into Madison's living room and it's uh-huh. so jarring and so funny <laughs> so like because it was like oh you thought you were across town I remember the first time I watched it thinking like what's going on this doesn't make sense because we are in a different mm. location and it's like no they just that shot 
doesn't need to exist. It's literally them saying like, you- th- It's just them trying to trick you. <laughs> I'm, they are tricking me. And I was like, all right, you win. Like, I was very happy to be tricked in that way. It was very fun. So the cinematography in general in this movie is extremely fun. They do so many shots. Like, I think the first time I noticed it was when she is running away from Gabriel after her husband died, where it is like looking down on the house as if it's like a dollhouse. It's like literally you are like in the ceiling tracking it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like tracking her running from room to room, then up the stairs and into her bedroom. And it's just like such a cool shot that like, didn't need to exist but it does (laughs) and i love that it's there at first i almost thought like oh they've been showing technology things is he moving through the wires and they're showing it like the Mm. wiring that would be in the ceiling for like lights or something maybe Mm -hmm. which is not and that's fine it doesn't need to be (laughs) yeah no it does i i I wrote that down too that shot turns the house into a labyrinth which the movie itself kind of is you are you are trying to find your way through like this yeah. reality the same way that Madison is. And I think that's really effective to put you in that headspace, but also like get you thinking like, all right, what I'm looking at is not what I'm really looking at. Like we're looking at the overhead room, but we're really tracking Madison underneath going through a hallway. Yeah. And since she, she is going to be like kind of trapped in her mind for a lot of the movie too, I think that's an interesting point you brought up that it's going to kind of like in not mimic, but reflect a, the idea or concept mm-hmm. of a labyrinth. Dude, Which is very cool. This movie's cool. I would say the one time the cinematography didn't work for me was, I touched on it briefly, is in the police station when Gabriel is in the middle of that open space and is spinning around killing cops. And, like, it looks very bad and it's very hard to track what's happening and also looks like it was just a video game cutscene. It doesn't look like a real actor's doing anything. I'm sure there's probably practical effects in it, but it doesn't look like it. I don't know if it's the FOV or, like, the way they're swinging the camera. It, I was just like, am I playing a video game? <laughs> like, what is happening? Why does just this one sequence look like it is removed from reality? I I will say I both 100% agree with you and also love it. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, it, it was like, I I was very perplexed when it came out, when it came at me, and I didn't like hate it but i also didn't like it i i don't know how to feel about it i i guess i'm glad that it's in there but also i feel like you could have done that same sort of shot that didn't look so fake mm-hmm. i guess well um, i don't know what it is the whole rest of that the whole rest of that entire fight scene is like rad as hell and has really cool choreography and it just feels like it was doing oh, are it, you uh, talking about a specific shot within that whole murdering cops sequence? yes okay yeah 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 so it's like a very specific turnaround shot. It's like after he gets to the main like section where all of the cop desks are. Mm-hmm. And so he's literally like spinning in a circle, stabbing cops. One of them, he like chops off an arm and throws that severed arm at another cop and then stabs him when he's confused after being hit with his colleague's arm or something. Awesome. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, he- here's like 10 seconds where it it looks like it is removed from the... <laughs> reality of the movie and then we're right back to it that's funny yeah i i don't remember that specific shot i'm <laughs> sure it sucks <laughs> i don't i don't know what it is necessarily i could i couldn't really like pinpoint what it was the lighting was some kind of way i remember thinking that very first scene in this movie feels very cheap it does but like in a way that it felt like it was setting a tone where it feels like th- this is like a campy b movie sci-fi mm-hmm. fun do whatever the fuck you want experience sure that looks like yeah th- this could be a movie i found on the sci-fi channel this could be a movie i found yeah the, like 
on a VHS tape somewhere, which I think was intentional. And I think that's, again, why the second scene is so jarring to me. So I was like, wait, what? I was all in for this. And then (laughs) this happened. And I even remember, like, the scene when she's like, her husband is dead and she's, like, alone in the house. And she ends up, like, going upstairs to look out the window is, like, a beautifully lit little sequence. It's just, like, I remember, Mm -hmm. like, being, that was the biggest jarring thing to me was, like, I remember thinking, like, oh, does this movie look this cheap throughout? And that's what made me think of it when you were talking about the silly uh, $4 CGI (laughs) video game Uh sequence. But then, like, no, they're really, like, this is a beautiful movie for 94% of it. Yeah, you know, okay, now that we're talking about it, Mm -hmm. with how intentional, like, the first shot is, it's probably because that is when things are the most insane. That one shot that I was complaining about, that I was like, I don't like the look of this, Mm -hmm. he probably did that on purpose to look so removed from reality, because it is so insane. Mm. It's like, this is the most crazy action part of this entire fight scene, this entire sequence. Yeah. So we're just going to make it look even more elevated <laughs> in that way. So, okay, I'm kind of coming around. <laughs> At least function-wise, I think it, yeah. it's a very, very cool idea. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there is this, this, and I also think this movie heightens really well to go yeah. from like, it, it simultaneously, like every time it has to do a big exposition dump, I think uh, the prison sequence is a really good example of this. It does a big exposition dump and intercuts it with an insane murder scene. And yes. then it's like, it's. I think that is the first murder scene we get when we really know what's going on. Well, and- it's where we see Gabriel for the first time literally emerging from her head. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have absolutely no doubt what is happening here and... Yeah, this is what he's been doing this whole time that the camera hasn't been showing you. There is something really interesting about, like, the previous kill scenes had this layer of mystery to them. Mm -hmm. Like, what's going on? Is Madison doing this? Is is she imagining it? Like, what's going on with these? And then once we know that, it's like, what are you replacing that mystery frosting with on your cake? And it's, well, we're just making the cake extra sweet. (laughs) Like, we're like, we're going nuts on the cake. I think that cop scene is so (laughs) joyful. (laughs) so funny it's like it's like the kind of superhero action i like find myself invested in well it's especially funny because it gets it it's all that intense action with his signature knife and one of the Mm -hmm. cops the uh lady cop partner she gets a shotgun at one point that's kind of what sends him leaving Mm -hmm. what sends gabriel like out the door except Right as those, right, right as the two like main detectives who we've been following and they've been talking to our main characters this whole time, they're like going to try and limp away. They're not dead. He just picks up a fucking chair and like hucks it at him and uh-huh. then it, it like hits him and then they just fall over. And then he's like, okay, now I'm gone. Oh, from like Bye. across the room, too. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's across the entire room. Oh, man. The other thing, so, um, at this point in my notes, I go from cop fight rules to basically the end of the movie because I was just like kind of in it. I was just like, okay, great. Let's see what happens now. Yeah. It did. It does really sweep me up. Well, because I think at that point, Sydney is going to the hospital and it is basically that final mm-hmm. scene, actually. The next thing I have written down is how upset I was when Sydney got shot in the head. It was so point blank. Yeah. <laughs> it was really upsetting. I couldn't handle it. It, especially because the way they did it at uh, the first time, I actually like bought into it for a second. Me too. Like it wasn't until he went to he said like the final words to the mom and then started killing her. Then I was like, wait a minute, okay, now I see what's going on. Okay, Sydney isn't actually dead, but like for that thirty seconds or whatever, I was like, oh shit! So there's gonna be consequences for her not being strong enough to fight off Gabriel. Mm-hmm. 
and she's just lost her sister that fucking sucks yeah i i definitely remember um, the first time i watched it just being like i don't like this movie anymore yeah it feels so callous too all also yeah. like there isn't any grandiosity to it mm-hmm. which i think is on purpose right no it really is the Where's... most devastating way they could do it and it is yeah them again Cause... tricking me just like all right who gives a shit like we're gonna make you feel really upset and then we'll pull you back and i don't know if it like it's this to me is like a really hard distinction between like what is like upsetting me in a way that like makes me not like the movie and what is upsetting me in a way that is setting me up to really love the ending when she comes back and she wins and yeah for me it's like damn right could go either way because even watching it the second time i wasn't relieved or like like it didn't recreate the feelings of like okay that was really brutal but they're gonna they're gonna get me back because i know she's actually powerful like it was just like oh i'm still just really upset and the ending kind of feels a little flatter to me because of that and i'm just like kind of not like ready to buy anything well i think also their final words to each other are good but then also which i think it encapsulates kind of like the message of what they were trying to say where she's like I didn't need a blood relation. I had you right here with me. But she's saying that in front of her birth mother who is in the hospital, who is conscious right now, who you haven't had a conversation with or dug into. It made me think what you literally have a connection you can make with this person who said she didn't want to give you up. And I think she genuinely meant that Mm -hmm. when she was saying that it's just, she was 15. This is another thing that I didn't like. They were like, uh, the mother was raped. She's 15. And then she had the baby and her mother wouldn't help her and said her child was an abomination against god Mm -hmm. so i'm like there's some weird backstory there one anything that just throws in rape casually is always going to rub me the wrong Mm. way most movies don't handle it effectively i'm not saying you can't but they just mention it so offhandedly and then she still wants to keep the baby even though that's what happened but Mm -hmm. she's just like my mom won't help me and i'm literally scared because i can't do it myself because i'm literally a child Mm -hmm. so it feels like there's this entire backstory to the mom and their conception and their family that we're not they're not going to tell us in this movie we have to wait for the second movie and that's when i realized like we didn't have an actual conversation with the mother about anything and they Mm -hmm. did that on purpose because it's for the next movie and now i feel like that's missing from this movie Mm -hmm. and i hate that yeah it is bizarre to have because first of all when she says to sydney i didn't need a blood relative i have one right here it's like that she's not she's still not your blood relative like you can be saying something yeah. like you're more important or equally as important yes, as exactly a, but she just literally says like i've always had one it's like no you haven't but then you're, yeah. you're exactly right the fact that the mother is in the room is such like a a big deal to just gloss over yeah and also she's awake like if they had kept her in the coma in the or coma. whatever that would have been such an easy way to never have you think about it until movie two or something but also she's just in the room in general. So it's bad enough that she's in the room because then it's like, yes, literally my mother is here. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, she's conscious. So she's aware of the thing you're saying, which makes it hit even more weird. <laughs> Honestly, the moment where Sydney is shot to get that same emotion, but not hurt the movie. I wonder if Gabriel legitimately killing the mom. Maybe. Yeah. Then we don't have to talk uh, about her. We don't have to deal with her. But also it's like you get that same like, oh, she she really needs to fight back now. Or she's going to do to Sydney what she just did to the birth mother. Yes, exactly. That heightens the stakes because Sydney is the character you care about in that instance. The mother, we, you know, you don't want to see a woman get killed, but we don't have the same sort of emotional investment. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about her. She's barely even said a fucking thing the whole time. So, yeah, that that would have been a better way to do it. But again, it just feels like they're saving it for the next movie. Mm-hmm. I also, my very last note is fucking birth mother over here grinning like a goon. 
when Sydney yeah, she's, is she's like hugging Madison, <laughs> she's just like, ah, so happy. It's very weird. Why are you happy? The, so, so that entire scene went on for way too long also. So like, yeah, they say that thing, then they hug. The birth mother's looking at them for a really long time. She's looking at them for so long. She's like, maybe I shouldn't be looking at them more. So she turns and she's just kind of like staring blankly ahead. And the camera is still staying on it until it, it takes like forever zooming in after we're focusing on the mom to be like, oh, there's a, there's a lamp in frame. Oh, the lamp is making the noise that Gabriel made when he used his powers, but it took us so long to get there where mm-hmm. you're like, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. Yeah, it, it almost feels like feels it's like... been five minutes. Are they going to do it? Oh, OK. They finally did. It's like the practical effect like wasn't going off. Right. And they're like, that's the <laughs> yeah, take. Yeah, yeah. that's what we got. Yeah, It feels like you, you should have shortened that up. I don't know what you guys <laughs> were thinking. <laughs> um, the last thing that I wrote down, I finally figured out and now just read it at the end of my notes. Um, the actress who plays Madison plays her and i know you haven't watched this show roxy but i think you should and you'll love it she is giving the exact same performance that gillian anderson gives in hannibal oh okay and everybody is giving a similar performance in hannibal and it's almost operatic yes yeah it does feel very stagey and artificial and that was the moment when i figured it out <laughs> i solved the puzzle oh. why i wrote why is she giving the gillian anderson performance from <laughs> So, Mikey, what did you think about the soundtrack to this movie? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, didn't, it didn't register to you? I actually I actually don't have any. I, I, it sounded like you had something to say about it. I didn't yeah. notice it necessarily. So, like, there is a track they use a lot, which is like a remix synthwave kind of version of Where Is My Mind? Oh. That is often, uh, like, without words, I think. It's mostly, um, like, instrumental, and it's so much fun, and also it adds another layer to be like, yeah, where is my mind, I guess, <laughs> right? Is that why you picked this? So on the nose. Uh, yeah, but, like, the soundtrack in general, like, stood out. Normally, for a lot of horror movies, you don't really track it, but, again, they really leaned into the 80s cheesy kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, how can I just be forgetting the word? Campy vibe. Mm-hmm. Campy vibe. Like, in a very good way, where it is more like a modern, updated kind of version of that with a lot of synth stuff. And I think maybe it's just because I like synthwave type stuff, mm-hmm. so maybe I I noticed it more, but it was also just like, wait a minute, is this Where Is My Mind? Yes, it is Where Is My Mind. <laughs> Kept using it. Where Is My Mind, I feel like, is having a renaissance as the number one most covered song in a kind of gothy way or like a more serious oh, way it? yeah it's in a lot I didn't of know that it's in like the leftovers for sure um it's in a lot of things and but also i will say now that we're talking about it i do remember there being like a little i wonder if it's where's my mind there's like a little like character melody when madison is kind of like taking herself back that almost reminds me of like you know, a superhero movie where it has, like, mm-hmm. the Doctor Strange theme whenever Doctor Strange does something cool in the Avengers movies. Uh-huh. So I guess they probably did, did think a lot about the soundtrack. That is almost something that I yeah. never notice in any movies. There, there was also a part where she is listening to the radio and, like, folding laundry, and there is a Brian Ferry song playing. Hmm. And, like, my, for whatever reason, I guess, here, a little fact, my parents really like Brian Ferry. They've mm-hmm. gone to, like, a bunch of his concerts, so I, like, heard his stuff growing <laughs> up a lot, to the point where, like, it's almost sort of a family joke. There, There's a song he does called Slave to Love, uh-huh. and, like, when we were kids hearing that, we thought he was saying spatula, so we'd be <laughs> like, oh, you're listening to the Spatula Man. Oh, you're going to Spatula Man's concert. <laughs> but it plays on the radio, and I was like, oh my god, I know his voice. Is that... 
Oh my god, it is Brian Ferry. Like, I don't know if the song specifically, I remembered, like, the song, but, like, I could recognize his voice. It was just kind of, like, a funny place to find him doing soundtrack for a movie, which I don't think I'd heard. First it's, of like, all, diegetic sound, because it's in the radio. First of all, that is very cute. <laughs> it's <bachelor. laughs> But second of all, you know, it, it wasn't just a, a random choice. You know that Brian Ferry famously ate his twin in utero. Oh, okay. You know, that makes a lot more so sense now. Good, of course they would choose him. You'd be pick. doing your movie a disservice if you didn't. Roxy, I got a question for you. All right, Mikey, what's your question? Okay. In this movie, Malignant from 2021 or something. Yes, Malignant. Sydney, the sister, wants to date this cop. Would you ever date a cop? Um, <laughs> so cops in fiction, n- n- very notoriously, I love Resident Evil. Okay. I love Leon Kennedy. I love Jill Valentine. You know, I, <laughs> I love Rebecca. They're, they're fictional cops. I like some fictional cops, but a real cop is nothing like any of these fictional counterparts. Like, the, the cop in this movie, he has a very earnest, kind of cute vibe to him. He's very handsome. Mm-hmm. He comes across as, like, you know, he he's also into Sydney too, and, like, his partner kind of ribs him about it and is like, come on, you wouldn't <laughs> be helping this lady who sounds insane unless you thought her sister was cute. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I sure, i date the f- fictional cop yeah guy from this movie but real cops no way uh real cops tend to be nightmares it's not not all of them but i would definitely never date one yes more than if there's more than one that's too many that's (laughs) i feel similarly i always talk about this as the kramer problem where like Mm. in in a sitcom kramer is very fun it would be fun to have yes. you're like, oh, he'd come over and he'd take my uh, cereal out of my apartment. And then you would go over and he'd be like, oh, I got a silly plan, Jerry. And the audience would laugh. But in real life, you'd be like, you can't come in my house. You're a, an insane person. And yeah, stop stealing my stuff. Leave. It's not yeah. fun in real life. In fiction, cops are, are kind of, you know, lawmen. They are the barriers between society and chaos, which is valuable. In real life, they're horrifying nightmares. So, yeah, I probably wouldn't date a cop in real life either. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Established. Asked and answered. <laughs> All right. Mystery solved. <laughs> Roxy, on a scale from one to nine, one being the least likely, nine being the most likely, of course, it only goes up to nine because the number 10 does not exist in the scary basement. How likely are the events of Malignant to happen in real life? So I'd say as like batshit entertaining as this movie is, it's a superhero horror movie and is incredibly wacky. Um, so I'm going to say one out of nine, because the one realistic thing was the abusive spouse, which mm-hmm. abusive spouses sadly exist in reality. Mm-hmm. So yeah, one out of nine for me. What about you? I also said one out of nine. For for the same reason, like, uh, it's hat on a hat. It's like, I could maybe mm. buy that somebody has electric powers. I could maybe buy that somebody has a in utero twin coming out of their back. I could maybe, <laughs> but like, but both of them? And I could, the one that really got me is like, I don't know, that sister is way too nice to her. <laughs> The sister, hey, that's the sister, not true. The sister that's is putting up with way too much. I was like, no, nah, that sister would bounce. <laughs> no, she's just, that's just what she's like, Mikey. She's just perfect, I guess. Yeah, yeah, not realistic. Uh, <laughs> Roxy, last week we made a bet. Yeah, we sure did. We asked each other what we thought the total kill count of this movie would be. And yes. I said 15. I said 30, or not 30, sorry, 20. You I said, said 20. 20. I did do my best to keep count. It is There's so least- many... It is at least 24, so... Okay. There are 24 (laughs) visible, like, individual deaths. But there are also a lot of scenes where, like, when they go back to the women's prison, there's just, like, 30 bodies laying all about. Yeah, yeah. So you're gonna take that one. All right, Uh, I'm still winning. (laughs) 
That means our total bet score up until this point, Roxy 17, Mikey 16, Ty 1. As we know from the before people, those who were in the scary basement before Roxy and I, something happens at 30. Oh no, I'm scared. I'm not looking forward to it. And Mikey ate the note, so I don't know if there's more written on that note. There was I... a there was a drawing. That's all I... What? Okay, I can't believe you didn't mention that. Great. Now we're never going to get that back. We have to hope they left another note or something but for us to find. It wasn't like a good drawing. It was just like some manga guy. What? Yeah, they were just. it was just like they were just like practicing, you know? Oh, okay. Like in your high school notebook <laughs> yeah, on your old paper. You just draw a little manga guy and then you write your note and then you move on. Yeah, this looks just like Goku. <laughs> Here comes our old pal, the demon bot, wearing a very what? cute little costume. <laughs> okay, he had like a wardrobe change. I'm not used to this, him changing up his look. Why does he look like... Oh my god, Roxy, Mikey. He... I'm enamored with the demon bot dressing up like the movies that he's giving us now. This is a cool new layer to him. I, I think I could guess what movie we're going to watch next week now, just based on this outfit alone. He's got a good guy set of overalls somehow stretched over his chassis. Yeah, they're way too small. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think they're ripped on the side. <laughs> this is not a costume. My tux is of the cleaners, and this was the only thing I had clean. Why are you looking at me like that? Anyway, you have successfully reviewed Malignant. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must review the 1990 film Child's Play 2, directed by John Lafia and starring Brad Dourif, Alex Vincent, and Christina Lees. If you do not, your souls shall be forfeit and I will claim your bodies as my own. Okay, Roxy, so for next week, we got Child's Play 2. All right, okay. Chucky, Chucky's back after almost 40 episodes. Damn. We had so much fun watching Chucky 1. Now we get to watch another Chucky. I'm excited. I can't wait. Yeah, especially because like Chucky is uh, one of your favorite horror uh, villains, Mikey. I think he so. might be my favorite horror villain. Your horror, your favorite horror villain. Yeah, okay, I yeah. So. <laughs> Roxy, we of course have to make a bet for next week. Yes. How Let's many do times do you think the word doll will be said in Child's Play 2? The word doll. <sighs> It's been so long since I've seen this. I don't. I, I think there are many Chucky dolls in this one, maybe. So I'm going to say thirty. Thirty. Okay. I am gonna maybe go. They'll, I'm gonna go maybe. way less because I don't think they say the word doll a lot so much as they look at a lot yeah. of dolls. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably right. It's fine. Hey, if you do lower, then I don't know. Hopefully, one of us will. Get it. I'll I'll do eight. <laughs> okay. Eight. All right. Yep. All right. Swung for the fences. That's me. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. The one who is closest to the number of times the word doll is said shall be declared the winner. The winner shall receive their own good guy doll directly from the factory. Don't worry, this one is named Tommy, and Larry, and Oscar, and Billy, and Paulie, and Larry. Roxy, we've talked about a lot of scary things this week. In utero twins, bizarre performances, knives made out of statues. Let's talk about something happy. Huh? Yeah, let's do it. What yeah. has been making you happy this week? So I've complained about this a bit on Twitter and complained to you personally, Mikey, but my phone that was the last remnant I had of my shitty startup job, the only, literal only perk I got from that job, had it for six years. It has finally kicked it. It won't hold a charge. It, I will be trying to listen to a podcast and it will literally just crash for no reason. Um, it is unusable. So I had to go 
replace my phone, something I wasn't expecting to have to do. You know, it's big life expense, should Mm -hmm. be really shitty. I get there and the person helping me out is like this really nice person who also happens to be a Twitch streamer. Like we just start talking about stuff and she's like, yeah, I'm really good at like Call of Duty. I got like a... (laughs) I'm head of a team that's, like, placed really high. So, like, I had this really shitty experience, but had a very nice person helping me through it, who I had, like, a lot more in common with than I ever would have thought, having stepped into that shop, so. Hell yeah. Uh, just a nice little surprise. Did you hop on the internet with your new phone friend and, and game on? M- maybe someday, but not yet. I am not very good at first-person shooters. Mm-hmm. I don't have, like, a ton of experience. Fallout is about the closest thing I could say I've played to a first-person yeah. shooter, and that game is notoriously not great for its first-person yeah, shooter. It's not, it's not, uh, listen, first-person shooters are bad games. They shouldn't make them anymore. I'll tell you what's making me happy. <laughs> I didn't even know what to say to that. <laughs> okay, what's making you happy, Mikey? What's making me happy, Roxy? Little pouches of eggs. Um, uh, what? Okay, as I mentioned, I went to a wedding this weekend. And you stay at the Uh hotel, and the next day the hotel has, you know, complimentary breakfast. And they just go to the grocery store and buy, like, 30 individually wrapped little muffins and, like, bananas. And they Mm -hmm. also buy, and I've bought these myself before, these little pouches of eggs. (laughs) Okay. These little plastic, like, sealed plastic hard-boiled eggs. It's a two-pack. Oh, they're hard-boiled eggs. Okay. And you, like, peel open the plastic, and then you just have an egg. And you just put it in your mouth, and it goes... And then you swallow it in one gulp, and then you have Wait, what? protein. You, you don't chew it. I try not to. Oh, okay. How have you not died from asphyxiation? Well, they're, <laughs> they're, they're wet, Roxy. They just slide down still, your gullet. That seems like too much. Okay, well, hey, you're still alive and talking to me right now, so I guess that's great. Great. I'm happy for you. I just want my life to not have to like worry about eating anymore, and I just want little protein circles that I can just go boop, boop. And then have two eggs in my body and then move on. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, that's that's valid. There are definitely times where I do not want to think about making food and would just like to be like, can I just not be hungry anymore and just be done with it, please? Mm-hmm. I feel like little pouches of eggs are as close to food pills as we have. Well, especially because, like, cooking an egg also can take a long process. <sighs> right. I literally had scrambled eggs today and I had to, like, get a pan all dirty and then, like, a little flipper thing and fuck i hate eggs <laughs> but i love but but you love them putting them in my mouth and being done great roxy each week the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door and each week Boy, we keep he. escaping this week i got a pretty good track record i brought along a weapon okay it's my 2015 macbook Okay, I was going to say that looks like a computer. That's your that's your weapon. Okay. Yeah, it, it's just what I had around. You know, it's like an old computer. It's uh, Is it like infected with malware or something? And it's going to be like infect the computer that's keeping computer no. monster that's keeping it. But Roxy. No, okay. In the same way okay. that the malignant monster took the statue that so upset him oh. and turned it into a weapon. This oh, 2015 okay, so math this book <laughs> is what I wrote so many pilots on that many Hollywood agents turned down. And let's just take a look. Open up the cellar door. Yep, the guardsman is a Hollywood agent. Here we go, Roxy. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to get them to read it to distract them, but no, I see you just smacked them in the face with it. Okay. I'll see you in hell, agent. And by hell, I do mean various industry events.
and I can't help but notice that Demon Bot is wearing a black trench coat, and I'm wondering if that is related to us watching Malignant. After the recording, I am headed to a vampire at the Masquerade LARP if you must know about my private life. And I'm wondering if that is related to us watching Malignant. No, I happen to be in the middle of trying out my Highlander cosplay. Do you not like my Duncan McLeod?